welcome to the Wanderlust Journal podcast, based upon great storytelling. We'll be sharing adventures, recommendations, and tips for the aspiring writer. I'm your host, Sarah Leamy. I am a wanderer since I was a teenager hitching across France. I usually travel alone with dogs and in various vehicles. I'm the author of Van Life, Bring a Chainsaw, and numerous others. And I have a master's degree in writing and publishing, so you are in good hands today. If you'd like to hear more, simply subscribe, stick around, and we'll take you around the world. Dogs. Dogs, 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 dogs. Travel with dogs. How could I have had 15, 14 other episodes <clears throat> and I haven't talked about traveling with dogs? I mean, it's what I do. It's what I've done since I was in my mid-twenties. And um, yeah, I don't know how that happened. So today we are going to be talking about travels with dogs. And I'm going to keep coming back to this because I know a lot of people that are traveling with their dogs and with their pets. Um, I will come back to traveling specifically with cats another time with stories of Stevie, my little feral bugger who explored national forests across the American West, as well as other people traveling with their cats. <clears throat> There's quite a few examples of that. I can give you some bloggers, YouTubers, and um, I don't know of any books. So that's going to be my homework. I'm going to look up books that feature traveling with cats. If you have any suggestions, let me know. So today, travels with dogs. We are going to talk about, um, I'm going to give you some allies, travelers, writers, bloggers, advice. You'll hear a whole variety of voices. And we're going to start with Lavanya Sankura. So she is a fascinating woman, complete ally. She has written and done so much stuff for animals and for dogs, for pet health, for travel stories. <clears throat> She's a freelance writer, New York-based freelance writer. She has a focus on travels, pets, conservation, and sustainability. She's written hundreds of articles, um, lots of lots of views, lots of publications. And so I have to say that she is someone we definitely need to focus on today. And I wanted to give you this little excerpt. So this is an article that came out recently. It's called Kissing Horses and Hiking Mountains with My Dogs in New Hampshire. And I'm just going <clears> to <throat> give you a direct quote and read a few passages for you and then give you a link. The mountains are calling and I must go, said John Muir, about finding peace among the towering trees, silvery cliffs and crisp mountain air that breathes freshness into your being. It was this desire that carried me away from my concrete jungle to the white mountains of the Granite State of a Memorial Day weekend. The best part of the trip, I brought along my best friend, my adopted dog, Indu. Indu, a five-year-old Border Collie shepherd mix, comes alive the second she spots the trail. With a bushy tail wagging and ears flopping, she runs over tree roots, sniffing at pine cones, bark and leaves strewn on the ground. She's in her element, and watching her live in the moment brings me tranquility. Indu, don't go too far, I warn, but soon she's far ahead of me. Unrestrained by the leash, she savours every breath of pine-scented air and the soft auburn tapestry of fallen pine needles are under her paws. We're in the White Mountains National Forest on the Oliverian Brook Trail, a two-mile trail dotted with sapling pine trees and their ancestors, and bursting with verdant vegetation from the spring rains. Although there are cars belonging to other hikers in the lot, they are nowhere to be seen. 
When we reach the brook a mile into a hike, I hear a splash. Before I know it, Indu is hip deep in the water, trying frantically to return to higher ground. Panic sets in and I run towards her, although she doesn't need my help. With a few attempts, she's back on the trail with that familiar grin on her face, vigorously shaking off the wetness. My anxiety melts away and turns to joy at the sight of her strutting along the trail. With a scare behind us now, we head back through the now familiar woods, Indu leading us all the way back to the car. Refreshed and famished from our hike, we visit North Conway, a quaint little canine-friendly town with a railroad museum, a strip of family-owned stores and friendly people who leave water out for the dogs. After a delicious vegan meal at A Taste of Thai, where Indu snoozes under the table on their outdoor patio, we make a quick stop at White Birch Books, where the owner gives Indu treats. Our next stop is Cathedral Ledge, a lookout point where we are greeted with stunning panoramic views of mountains in the distance and granite cliffs dotted with daring climbers. I look straight down at the breathtaking landscape of fields separated by adorable houses with colourful roofs and winding roads. Indu, with her nimble feet, eagerly climbs over boulders, dragging me behind her. I leash her to abide by the rules here. Perched at the top of an expansive cliff, we feel accomplished and take a sip of water before heading back down. The day isn't over yet. Within a short drive lies the trailhead at Diana's Baths, a mile-long hike to a beautiful waterfall. With rain approaching fast, I put Indu in a raincoat and grab my hat, but the trees shield us from the droplets. I wish I could say the same for the mosquitoes, who swarm on us like bees to flowers. Unfazed, Indu marches on, never once fatigued or bothered. The view of the falls is worth getting a few bites, and Indu is finally done for the day. She takes me straight back to the car and snoozes in the back seat all the way home. So that is um, Lavanya Sankara. She has a whole bunch of stuff on her website. And that <clears throat> her website is nature-traveler.com. So I absolutely recommend her. She's got a bunch of different stuff. Um, she's got one thing from, oh, it was a long time ago, actually. Uh, North Fork's Best uh, Dog-Friendly Wineries. Um, she's got a lot of different things she's got a couple of dogs she's got Indu and Andy well she did have Indu and Andy I'm not sure who she has right now but I think it's worth having a look at her website so nature-traveler.com I think you'll get a lot out of that and uh yeah the last let's see one of the last things I see from her is um from 2021 so a couple of years ago I hope that she's still doing stuff and she's still putting work out there and it's just that I haven't found it so so the next one I wanted to come to today is the classic by John Steinbeck Travels with Charlie Charles with Charlie in Search of America is a 1962 travel log written by Steinbeck and it um carries you across a 1960 road trip around the United States in the company of his poodle, Charlie. And he, Steinbeck wrote that he was moved by a desire to see his country on a personal level because he made his living writing about it. And I have to say that's definitely um, the impetus for why I first came to the States in my 20s was having studied and read so much about the States and the hugeness of the country and the variety that there is across this country and having traveled, uh, grown up in England then having traveled a lot of Europe in my teens and early 20s, um, it seemed logical to come over to the States. And funnily enough, within uh, 1993, within, I don't know, a few weeks of me arriving in New Mexico, I ended up with a dog called Charlie. So in memory of Charlie, I'm going to get you a little piece from this and we'll share. Let's see if I can get that quote for you. 
So here we go. We're going to start um, on page five from the book, and it was put out by Penguin. And again, like I said, it's around his trip in 1960, crossing the States. And this is his explanation as to why he was doing it. My plan was clear, concise, and reasonable, I think. For many years, I've traveled in many parts of the world. In America, I live in New York or dip into Chicago or San Francisco. But New York is no more America than Paris is France or London is England. Thus, I discovered that I did not know my own country. I, an American writer, writing about America, was working from memory. And the memory is at best a faulty, warpy reservoir. I had not heard the speech of America, smelled the grass and the trees and the sewage, seen its hills and water, its colour and quality of light. <clears throat> I knew the changes only from books and newspapers. But more than this, <coughs> I had not felt the country for 25 years. In short, I was writing of something I did not know about, and it seems to me that in a so-called writer, this is criminal. My memories were distorted by 25 years intervening years. Once I travelled about in an old bakery wagon, double-doored rattler with a mattress on its floor. I stopped where people stopped or gathered. I listened and looked and felt, and in the process had a picture of my country, the accuracy of which was impaired only by my own shortcomings. So it was that I determined to look again, to try to rediscover this monster land. Otherwise, in writing, I could not tell the small diagnostic truths, which are the foundations of the larger truth. One sharp difficulty presented itself. In the intervening 25 years, my name had become reasonably well known, and it has been my experience that when people have heard of you, favourably or not, they change. They become, through shyness or other qualities that publicity inspires, something they are not under ordinary circumstances. This being so, my trip demanded that I leave my name and my identity at home. I had to be peri peripatetic eyes and ears, a kind of moving gelatin plate. I could not sign hotel registers, meet people I knew, interview others, or even ask searching questions. Furthermore, two or more people disturbed this ecological complex of an era. I had to go alone, and I had to be self-contained, a kind of casual turtle carrying its house on my back. So let me find a little piece now. Now you've seen um, his explanations, what he's doing. Let's see if we can dip into one of his uh, experiences. And since the focus today is on dogs, let's start with Charlie. And this is a quote from the book. Charlie is a tall dog. As he sat in the seat beside me, his head was almost as high as mine. He put his nose close to my ear and said, He's the only dog I ever knew who could pronounce the consonant F. This is because his front teeth are crooked, a tragedy which keeps him out of dog shows, because his upper front teeth slightly engage his lower lip. Charlie can pronounce F. The word usually means he would like to salute a bush or a tree. I opened the cab door and let him out and he went to do his ceremony. He didn't have to think about how to do it well. It is in my experience that in some areas Charlie is more intelligent than I am, but in others he is abysmably ignorant. He can't read, he can't drive a car, and has no grasp of mathematics. But is an, an, in his own field of endeavour, which he was now practising, the slow, imperial smelling over, an anointing of an area, he has no peer. Of course, his horizons are limited, but how wide are mine? We drove on in the autumn afternoon, heading north. Because I was self-contained, I thought it would be nice if I could invite people I met along the way into my home for a drink. But I had neglected to lay in liquor. But there are pretty little bottle stores in the back roads of this state, and I knew there were some dry states, but I've forgotten which they were, and it was just as well to stock up. 
A small store was set well back from the road in a grove of sugar maples. It had a well-kept garden and flower boxes. The owner was a young old man with a grey face, I suspect a teetotaler. He opened his order book and straightened the carbons with patient care. You never know what people will want to drink. I ordered bourbon, scotch, gin, vermouth, vodka, a medium good brandy, aged applejack and a case of beer. It seemed to me that those might take care of most situations. It was a big order for a little store. The owner was impressed. Must be quite a party. No, it's just travelling supplies. He helped me to carry the cartons out and I opened Rocinante's door. You going in that? Sure. Where? All over. And then I saw what I was to see on so many times on the journey, the look of longing. Lord, I wish I could go. Don't you like it here? Sure, it's all right, but I wish I could go. You don't even know where I'm going. I don't care. I'd like to go anywhere. And that, I have found, is very true when I'm traveling. So, anyways, that's that's a nice little excerpt from John Steinbeck, Travels with Charlie. And I love that. I love that it's so... Um, he do, he does a really good sense of place. I mean, you know Steinbeck. He's got a really good sense of place. He really takes you through all these different states, whether it's like through north through Vermont or New Hampshire, um, going out west. He includes Charlie and everything, his dog. He um, brings over his personality of his dog really well. And so I really like that. I wanted to say that I like the slow-moving nature of his books of his book especially this one so the last thing I'm gonna give us is a little um, piece from dispersed camping near McPhee in Colorado it's called boggy drawer and the dispersed camping near McPhee Colorado I took the road north back to Ridgeway and we stopped at the river so the dogs could run free for a while after being tied up the whole time at the campsite. Wet, muddy, exhausted, they ran back to the truck and settled down for another day on the road. I pulled back onto Highway 62 heading west but noticed rows of local Colorado vehicles parked at 8 a.m. Why? A diner, one that the locals love. I parked in the shade, grabbed my wallet and reading glasses and wandered back to Kate's place. I fell in love with Ridgeway over bacon and eggs. Ridgeway hides quietly in a sweet open valley only 10 miles from the much more famous Uri. Everything about breakfast that day makes me think in superlatives. Too much to be credible, but I challenge you to look for Kate's place on a Sunday morning and settle in for an hour or two. You won't be disappointed. In all honesty, I get scared taking the back roads like I do. I have a pretty good stock vehicle, good tyres, air compressor, food, water and three dogs for company and protection. This 1995 Forerunner, Toyota 4Runner, is pretty solid, but I'm much more aware of what could go wrong on some days, and this trip was one of them. That is, until I remember myself and stop the truck, get out and walk and breathe in the views and the fresh cold air. I really didn't want to drive through the one-lane construction on Highway 550 to Durango, an hour and a half at the best of times, over a pass reaching some 13,500 feet high. No, not for me, not in faith, my Forerunner. So with a full belly, some extra bacon for the pups, we set off on Highway 62 with the rest of the detour drivers. Except at Highway 145, I took a right, and they all turned towards Telluride to head to Durango. A sign to the south led me to onto County Road 40, M44. Narrow road, steep inclines, four-wheel drive only. Well, I don't like to turn back, so I took a breath, checked the tyres, well, kicked them, took a pee break, and we headed off into Uncompa Uncompagre National Forest. 
Some two hours of slow driving took us up higher onto a bluff that opened up with a lingering view of rivers, trees, and the little sign of civilization. Perfect. I made sandwiches as the dogs played and explored for an hour. M44 turned into County Road 44Z after zigzagging through the hills and down into a wide valley. Without any modern GPS or satellite phones, I just used the sun and shadows to make sure I was heading south. My goal being to find dispersed camping near McPhee Reservoir and County Road 31. The dogs suddenly all stood up in the truck and stared off to the left of the dirt road. There stood a mama bear and two cubs, all on hind feet, watching us drive by. Silence in the truck. The dogs knew to keep to themselves. They settled back down. I thought to check the side road, off the main road. I know it sounds silly, but Forest Road 259 would take us near the reservoir, according to my map. We started off quite happily, past a few dispersed campsites with open areas and fire pits, only to drive to an ever-narrowing track. I stopped to check at one point, I'm so glad I did. Around the corner, a ten-foot-long mud pit with deep ruts blocked the way. I walked back, giving up on seeing the reservoir from the campsite. Yet we found a perfect spot within hundred-foot-tall pines. Someone had even left a pile of firewood next to the fire pit. The dogs ran free, and I didn't worry. So that piece comes from, actually, it comes from me, um, because I used to, uh, about 10 years ago, I had a section on a website called Dirt Roads and Dogs, which is the social handle on a lot of things that I do. Um, And I used to explore the Southwest uh, in a forerunner, in a 1995 forerunner, with three dogs. I had Harold, I had Rosie and Oliver. And so with those three dogs, we used to sleep in that forerunner. We took all the camping gear and water and food and dog food and supplies. And um, we would just take dirt roads and explore. And I would write that about them. And I also had things, um, I would publish things for the examiner about which towns were dog friendly and which places were dog friendly. And it was a great thing to do. And I have to say, I mean, I love having my van and living and traveling in the van. It's a two wheel drive van, but I really do miss exploring and traveling like I did. So I think that's something I need to get back into. So anyways, that was a little excerpt from Dirt and Dogs, and I'll put a link below. So that's going to be all for today. As far as traveling with dogs, I'm going to come back another time and um, give you some recommendations for other books on different kinds of traveling with dogs, uh, with pets, with cats. And I'm going to also try and find some. I use a lot of gear for the dogs. I only have one dog right now, Billy, who's a little black and tan uh, Austrian hound. And we don't really use much gear, but I got a backpack and I've got some little odds and ends that I use. And so I'm going to to test those out this summer as we're in Colorado again, uh, working in the Pagosa district. And I'll let you know how things work. So if you have any other stories or you have anyone you want to recommend, let me know and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about either Wanderlust Journal or myself and my books, you'll find the links in the episode notes below. That's saralimi.com and wanderlust-journal.com. It's all completely free. If you're interested in supporting the Wanderlust Journal and keeping it free for everyone who wants to publish, read or hear these travel stories, there is also a link to the Buy Me A Coffee page below.